Thank you so much, Bakers. How, how beautiful. We're in our fourth sermon in a sermon series from the Acts of the Apostles. We first looked at Luke's first volume, the Gospel of Luke. If you missed one of the sermons of the Acts series, it's not too late. You can go to firstamarillo.org. You can watch the sermons, print them off, or listen to them by podcast, however you would choose, and I'd encourage you to do so. Today we find ourselves in the book of Acts, chapter 8, rejoicing on your way. A theologian received a, a postcard in the mail. It only had six words on it. I am the one Jesus loves. I am the one Jesus loves. In talking to his friend who sent the card, he learned the statement had come from the author and speaker, Brennan Manning. Manning, of course, was referring to one of Jesus' closest friends on earth, the disciple named John, who's identified in the fourth gospel as the one Jesus loved. If you were to ask John, what's at the core of your identity? He wouldn't say a fisherman. He wouldn't say even a disciple or apostle. He wouldn't even say the author of the fourth gospel. John would say, I am the one Jesus loves. What would it mean if you and I came to that place in our own life where we saw our primary identity as being the one Jesus loves? Sociologists have something called the looking glass theory. The looking glass theory. It says that you become what the most important person in your life thinks you are. You become what the most important person in your life thinks you are. What if you could become all that God thought you could be? What if you and I this morning could become all that God thought we could be? There's a story of an Irish priest who was walking in a rural parish. There's an old peasant kneeling down by the side of the road just praying right there. Impressed, the priest said to the old man, you must be very close to God. The old man stopped his prayers, paused, and looked up for a moment and said, yes, He's very fond of me. What if we thought that God was very fond of us? Today we learned this morning that no one is beyond the grace of God. There is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less. Your relationship with God is based upon only His endless, countless grace. This morning we have Philip the deacon preaching to a Gentile, a eunuch, an African, a non-Jew. Is there anyone beyond the grace of God? Who is the person in your life with whom you would not initiate a conversation? Who is subpar, subclass to you? Someone in abject poverty, a homosexual, a woman dying of AIDS, 
young person with more piercings and tattoos than hair. You tell me, for you, who is beyond God's reach in your life? Eunuchs in the first century were employed to guard the harems, to serve as treasurers. They were the servants of kings and queens. Unfortunately, the thing that made them so trustworthy, emasculation left them physically deformed. Why historians think and from various readings that their bodies were affected and their arms and legs were elongated in a very odd way. They grew abnormally. They were odd. But there was more to their oddity than their physical statue. In the eyes of the Jewish community, a eunuch was less than fully human. Deuteronomy 23.1 says, No one who's emasculated shall ever enter the assembly of God. You cannot come into the gathering of God's people if you're a eunuch. Less than fully included. The eunuch, we learn, had been to Jerusalem. Look at verse 27. He had gone there to worship God. How often did he go to worship God at the holy city of Jerusalem? And perhaps even while he's there in Jerusalem, he hears the story, the recent story about the rabbi who was crucified and said to be alive again. But no matter how loyal he was to the God of Israel, no matter how often he journeyed to Jerusalem, he could never be counted amongst the people of God as a Jew. He could not be a full member of the people of God. He was an outcast, separated forever from community, estranged. He could read all of the scripture that he wanted to read. Now, he had a copy of the scroll of Isaiah in his chariot. He read and loved God's word. He could pray. He could give alms. He could fast. He could observe all the Jewish laws beyond what a Jew might do, but he was always and forever separated from the community of God. He was always beyond the barrier of being part of the people of God. But Eunuchs did have one passage, Isaiah 56.3, which reads this way. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast in my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name and it will never be cut off. This passage was all they had. It was much better than the Deuteronomy passage for them. It promised that in the eschaton, in the end, they would be fully included in the people of God, returned to full worship, priority, and place. Look at verse 26. But the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem from Gaza. This is a desert road. It's interesting. Philip, in the beginning of this chapter, is preaching to the Samaritans, which is difficult in itself, but he's preaching to the masses and the mobs. And now, the one who, who preached to the multitudes and the masses and the mobs, now he's called to go down south, down the Gaza Road, the desert road, to meet one person. 
to share Christ face-to-face, one-on-one, the most unlikely character. An Ethiopian, that is an African, a eunuch. Philip all of a sudden had this crazy idea, this longing, I like to say, a nudge from the angel of the Lord. And it really seemed off the wall to take that Gaza road It seemed absurd. Hey, Philip said the angel, go down the road south from Jerusalem. Go down the Gaza road. It's a desert road. Gaza was the last stop for water in southwestern Israel before entering the desert on the way to Egypt. Go south. Go away from Jerusalem. Go to Gaza. Get on the desert road. Does anyone ever want to hear from God to take the road to the desert, the Gaza road? The eunuch, the Ethiopian, is plodding along in his chariot. The fact that he had a chariot means that he was a man of some money. The fact that he had a a scroll of Isaiah in his own possession, a rarity indeed, meant that he was indeed a man of means. He's reading the passage there. He was connected politically, but religiously he was utterly an outcast. He was beyond the barrier of respectable folk. He was a God-fearer, most likely, a non-Jew who goes to Jerusalem to worship God. He was chauffeured along in his chariot, his treasure for Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He's reading that passage from the prophet Isaiah, that suffering servant passage. Look at verse 32. He's reading along in Isaiah, he was led as a sheep to slaughter, as a lamb before its shearers is silent, he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will describe his generation? For his life was removed from the earth. Philip runs right up next to him while he's reading the scroll of Isaiah in his chariot and says, do you understand what you're reading. How can I? Look at verse 31. Unless someone guides me. I want you to look at that word, guides me. Hodegio. It's used for someone who takes a blind person by the arm and leads them on a journey because they cannot see. How can I understand the prophet Isaiah unless someone, Hodegios, unless someone guides me, leads me, takes me by the arm, and shows me where to go? I love verse 35. And Philip opened his mouth. And beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus. Now in the Acts of the Apostles, Acts 10, Acts 18, when it says someone opens their mouth, it means they're lecturing on Old Testament scripture. Opening his mouth, Philip preached Jesus. Maybe his his sermon went something like this. Sir, you couldn't know it. 
But the prophet is talking about the Messiah, Jesus. He has more in common with you than you could ever imagine, for he too was rejected by the Jews. He too was an outcast in society. He dangled, cursed on a tree, crucified, and we believe and we have seen that he rose from the dead. He lives. Yes, he was like the sheep that is silent before the one who takes his life. He is like the sacrificial lamb that is silent before the sacrifice. The prophet Isaiah is not talking about himself. He is talking about the true Lamb of God. And even as Philip is preaching, the unit begins to feel the grace of God stirring in his own life, in his own heart, and he hears the good news, and he wonders to himself, maybe there's no barriers at all. Maybe through this Jesus, maybe I can become part of the community of Christ. This good news begins to well up in the eunuch's soul. The more Philip talks, the more the waters of grace begin to gurgle and bubble in his life, a life that needed a spring of grace. It had been so dry and so barren. There's a new life, a new future. And as a chariot goes, verse 36, right next, as God would have it, to a pool of water, the eunuch says, look, water. Can I get baptized right here, right now? He's experienced the grace of God. Sometimes we're reluctant to be baptized. Not this gentleman who had God's grace. Man, can I get it done right now? Can you stop the chariot and can I get in the water and get baptized? He may be thinking something like this, is this really going to remove the barriers? Is the good news of God really for me? A Gentile, a eunuch. Is my physical barrier something that is actually overcome in this word of Isaiah? Is this racial prejudice against me truly fallen in Christ? Look, look, there's some water. It's a story of crucifixion, really, for me. Look, water. Can I be plunged into that water? Can I die with him and rise with him? Look, water. Can I have my sins washed away? Can I start life all over again? Can I be plunged into the grace of Almighty God? Baptism is a powerful symbol. It says publicly what's happened to us on the inside is now to be made known. I die with him and I rise with him. It represents our participation with Jesus. It is our faith within our own hearts that saves us. It is our baptism that declares that salvation to all who will see. It's not only a symbol of a dying and a rising Christ, but also a symbol of having the grace of God cleanse us, reminded of other passages and acts, like the one that says, arise and be baptized and wash your sins away. Turn back to Acts chapter 2, verse 38. We had this one last week in our sermon. 
Acts 2.38. This is the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. And Peter said to them, repent. What follows repentance? And let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. It's a symbol of dying and rising, but a symbol of the grace of God through the crucifixion of Jesus, cleansing us from all unrighteousness, washing away our sins. Now back to Acts chapter 8. Maybe the eunuch was thinking something like this. For years I've traveled to the temple in Jerusalem at Holy Days. I've seen that laver of water where that initiatory rite by which people are introduced and brought in to the people of Israel. And because, well, they never would let me get close to the water. And here's water. Here's my chance. Here's my shot at grace. Can we do it now? The chariot stops. The two men get out together. The chauffeur holds the horses. And both Philip and the eunuch enter the water together. And the eunuch is baptized. And now he is fully a brother in Christ to Philip. Look at him closely. He comes out of that water a transformed man. In fact, notice how he leaves. Look at the end of verse 39. He went on his way rejoicing. You come in contact with the gospel and the grace of God. You can do no other than rejoice. He comes out a transformed person. He rejoices on his way. There is a road to Gaza. A road that goes south. It's a desert road, Luke tells us. It leads out of Jerusalem, the center of religiosity, and for all of us, a place where the Spirit, the angel, the Lord nudges us to go, where it allows our life to intersect the most unlikely life for us, just as unlikely as the Ethiopian eunuch was to fill it. There's something in, that impresses me. I don't see it all that often, but I, I saw it this week, and I've seen it other times. I do a funeral for someone, let's say in this case a, a Caucasian, and while I, I'm doing the funeral, I look out, and there's folks, there's African Americans there, and there are Asians there, and folks of Latino descent there, and I, I think, wonder how their lives intersected. This, this seems like an unlikely crew for this funeral, and I did the funeral of, a, of, of Troy Perkins this week. He died 103 years of age, and he had helped start our Laotian congregation, and there were Laotians from two different churches in our town there at Troy's funeral at age 103, and heaven forbid I do your funeral next week, what faces are in the room? When have you gone south? When have you left Jerusalem and gone down the Gaza road, the desert road, to intersect your life with the unlikely? Is there a road out of your life, a road out of my life that ends up at Gaza? Philip, get 
up and go. Go south. Leave Jerusalem. Go to Gaza. It's a desert road. We all want to go to Jerusalem. We want to sing the songs of ascent. We're marching to Zion. We want to sing that song. We want to go up to Jerusalem and sing on our way. Heaven forbid we open the hymnal to the, the song of going down to Gaza. No one wants to sing that song. I'm not sure Philip wanted to sing it, but the angel pointed and the spirit pushed. Who dares allow their culture to be intersected by the unlikely? We learn from this text that it is our responsibility as part of the people of God to allow our lives to intersect with the lives of the most unlikely folks in order to share the gospel one-on-one. We have the responsibility to initiate relationships with the person of saying, do you know about the lamb who was sacrificed? Isaiah is not talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus. He doesn't ask for a teacher. He asks for a guide, someone to journey alongside. A teacher may stand above you and speak down to you. A guide takes you by the arm and leads you on a journey to Christ. The Italian novelist Ignazio Salone wrote about a revolutionary that the police were trying to hunt down. In order to hide the revolutionary, the Italian novelist said they put, in, put on priestly garb. They, they dressed him like a priest and sent him out to a little village because who would ever suspect that the revolutionary, the troublemaker, was a priest in a little village that hadn't had a priest for years. They dressed him in the priestly garb, and when he got there, the word went out to the village there by the Alps that there was a new priest in town, and the people lined up to talk about their sins, to confess their sins, thirsty for the grace of God, and he tried to shoo them away and tell them he wasn't really here for that. He had another assignment, and the people would not leave, and day after day after day, he saw the line of folks thirsting for a drink of the grace and forgiveness of God. All folks want the goblet of God's grace. Maybe we too are called to go down the Gaza road. Maybe we're called to hitch a ride to listen to the cries of a single mother whose son needs a positive role model as a male. Maybe we hitch a ride to the cry of a young person who's lost her innocence and needs to know if God will ever forgive her and love her again. Maybe we need to hitch a ride from Jerusalem, the religiosity, to a Gaza-type faith. Maybe we need to hitch a ride and move from pew Christianity to do Christianity and live out God's word, not just study it. Maybe we need to hitch a ride that says, yes, to teaching children here or going on that mission trip there on that Gaza road for Christ. 
Maybe we need to hitch a ride and help that family who's struggling with a, a special needs child. Maybe we need to hitch a ride and love that divorced man or woman who needs some uncommon grace. Maybe we need to hitch a ride to Gaza. His name was Jimmy. He was a homosexual in some ways like this Ethiopian eunuch. He was beyond those barriers. His family was part of the church that I pastored in Waco. He had developed AIDS and he was dying and I began a ministry of visiting with Jimmy. Those were hard visits for me. Those were Gaza Road days for me. It was the trip to the desert. It wasn't because I didn't care. It was because I wasn't sure what to say, what to do. Eventually, after a series of visits, I held Jimmy's hand on the day that he died, and he left this realm and went to the eternity of the Christ in the room was a mother who hurt, a father who hurt, a brother who was a preacher and wrestled with his brother's life and with the truth of the gospel. Jimmy confessed and was never beyond God's grace any more than I am or you are. He needed the gospel of grace and received. Who is it for you? He would say, that's a Gaza trip for me. Two folks were riding a bus to work, and the woman was a stranger to the man, and she was reading Scott Peck's The, the, Load, the Road Less Traveled, and a book that stayed on the New York Times bestselling list longer than any other. And, well, the man said to the woman, just making conversation, what are you reading a book a friend gave me, it, it changed his life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, what's that book about? I'm not sure. Just started thumbling through the pages and reading the chapters out. Here they are, Discipline, Love, and Grace. And the man said, Grace? What's grace? And, and the woman said, I don't know. I haven't gotten to grace yet. Have you gotten to grace yet? Is there really any other way to find grace than through the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, which we learn today in Acts, is for all people who confess their sins and say, Jesus is Lord. There is no one, television or in this room, beyond the grace of God, who hears my voice today. Look at verse 39. I love it. But he went on his way rejoicing. You find God's grace, you will rejoice on your journey. Let us pray. Oh God, maybe there's someone here today and this would be 
his day to say Jesus is Lord, her day to say Jesus is Lord. Maybe there are others that this would be their day to come and be a part of the people of God. Maybe there's some of us today, oh God, called to go down the desert road, the south road, the Gaza road from Jerusalem. Father, help us to realize in a new way this morning that all we have to do is say we're sinners and we need the grace of Jesus. Maybe there's someone today for whom today is a Gaza day. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.